early church leader James says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But turn on the TV, do a quick scan of the latest news, or look at the tendency of your own heart, and it is clear to see that we often act in the exact opposite way. Anger comes easily. We speak quickly and carelessly, and the patience to listen and understand is, at times, hard to find. But the challenge of our faith in Jesus remains. In a world where it seems everyone is tearing each other down, we are called to be builders of God's better world. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you did not bring your own Bible with you, I want to encourage you to grab the blue Bible uh, that is in the seat pocket in front of you. It looks like this. And on this page, you will find Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, go ahead and go to that next slide. You can see uh, where, uh, uh, where to find that page, 1818 in that blue Bible. I'd love for you to find that because I want you to follow along. I'm going to read you uh, several sections from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, today. I also want to welcome you if you are uh, brand new here today. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. Thank you for being here. Uh, and thank you for the chance to share with you uh, in this second week of uh, this series called Be a Builder. You've already heard a little bit about what this series uh, is about. I want to begin by sharing with you a text that we looked at last week near the end of the first message. Last week we focused on the call we have to be builders, uh, and you see this from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. This one verse that we looked at last week. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I just want you to see again the highly ambitious calling, the instruction that we have here in Paul's writings about what uh, we should be doing with the words that we speak. That every word that we speak should be one that is helpful for building others up. And also notice the sensitivity that is implied in here to what the needs of those are around us. And we should not only speak those things that we think will be helpful for building others up, but we should have an awareness of what those things might be that will actually meet the needs of those who are around us. So again, we talked about this high calling, this responsibility that we have. Today what I want to do is I want to step back a little bit. And the first thing is I want you to see this one verse in the context of everything that Paul is talking about in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. I want you to, to understand the bigger picture uh, of this particular instruction. And the other thing I hope happens is that you will walk out of here with a better connection, a, a, a better understanding of the connection between this individual calling that we have, the responsibility that we bear if we've said yes to Jesus, and how that connects to the health and the well-being of our community. Now when you think about community, I want you to think about it two ways. I want you to think about the church. I want you to think about the health and the well-being of your church. But I also want you to think about it in terms of the people who you share your life with. 
So I'm talking about the people who live in your house with you, your family. I'm talking about the people who you may work with, your coworkers that you spend a great deal of your life with. Maybe it's your neighborhood community, if you're real close with those neighbors who live, who live nearby with you, or the close friends who you share, life, share your life with. I want you to think about the community of people, the web of relationships in which you live out your days as we think about the health and well-being of that community and its relationship to this idea of the calling that we have to be builders of God's better world, particularly in the way that we speak into the lives of others. So let's talk a little bit about Ephesians, this, this letter. Ephesians is one of 13 letters written by the Apostle Paul that we find in the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament, so that gives you a sense of how much of the New Testament was written by this author. Paul was an uh, early church leader. He founded communities of faith throughout the Roman Empire in various uh, communities, various cities, some large, like Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the large communities, as well as smaller communities. And one of the ways that Paul stayed in contact, continued his pastoral teaching relationship with these communities, was, was through the letters that he would send to them. And often these letters that he sent were sent in response to a report he may have heard about that particular community. Sometimes that report was, hey, here's the great news about what is happening in this community where Paul wasn't at the time, but this is what has happened in his absence. Sometimes it was concerns that were raised. Hey, here's some questions that people are asking uh, in Ephesus or Thessalonica, or here's some issues that some of his co-workers would have reported back that they said, hey, Paul, this is something that you might need to address. And so Paul would write these letters and we now have them here in in our bible now the letter to the ephesians uh here's a kind of a quick tip in, in understanding how paul writes paul has a particular teaching method that he uses over and over and over again in his writings and this is what it looks like the teaching method was that paul began with information and he believed that information led to application Okay? So Paul would share a teaching. Here's something you need to understand. Here's a core teaching of the faith. And Paul would unpack that. But then he would go to the application of that. Here's what you need to know. But now here's what it means. Here's what you are to do with that. Here's how this should change the way that you speak or act or how you would interact with those around you. This is the application of what it looks like in this new community of faith. And often when you're reading Paul, when you see the word therefore, that's a pivot point. Okay, that's when he's moving from information to application. In Ephesians, he's doing the same thing. The first three chapters of Ephesians, which we're not going to read through all of them. Someone say amen. We're not going to read through all of them. But... Uh, At Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul is moving from this section to this section. He's moving from the information to the application. So if you're going to understand the application, it's important that you know what the information was that preceded it. So here is a real quick summary. This is the theme of the first three chapters of, of Ephesians. The first three chapters are about the unity of the church which is found in Christ. The unity of the church which is found in Christ. Paul is making the argument in the first three chapters of Ephesians that what Christ has done for us has not only restored right relationship with God for each of us individually, Christ has also established right relationship. And and the words that he writes to the Colossians, he's also established, he's made peace 
with each other. Here's one of the ways that he expresses that in Ephesians chapter 2. This is is a quote from Ephesians uh, chapter 2. It says this, his purpose, speaking about the purpose of Jesus, was to create in himself, in Christ, one new humanity. Now, one of the things that you may know about the early church is that uh, one of the controversies was that there were two groups of people uh, in, in those first groups of Christians. There were Jews... Those who have been raised according to a certain culture, uh, certain practices, certain religious standards, and then there were Gentiles. Many of those who had been raised pagans, they had uh, been raised in a very different cultural setting, uh, different practices and and religious thought. And in Ephesians chapter 2, you can go back and read it by the way, if you want to test me. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about these two groups of people. These two groups of people who before coming to faith in Christ, there was great animosity between these two groups of people. These were not only people who thought differently and talked differently and acted differently. In their way of thinking, these were people from different racial backgrounds. And Paul is saying, in Christ, you have been brought to unity. This is one of the gifts of what Jesus has done for us, is he has united us in this new humanity in which we share when we say yes to Jesus. So that's the theme. Now we're going to look at, beginning in verse 1, what does that look like in the way that we relate to one another? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along with me if you have your Bible. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Think of it this this way. Paul's saying this gift of unity, this gift of restoration, this gift of peace, it is a great gift. It's not a gift that you just put on the shelf and say, well, yeah, that was nice. You know, I got that at Christmas a couple years ago. But rather, this is extraordinary. And the life that you live now in response to receiving this gift, you got to live worthy of that gift because it was costly. It's an incredible, incredible treasure. How do you do that? Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because, look at verse 4, there is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's one God. There's one baptism. We share one hope. There is this unity that we have. There's not a hope for you and a hope for them. A a, a Christ for this group of people, a a, a Jesus for this group. There's one. We've been brought to full unity, and so we should act like it by being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. Jump down with me to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are basically the people in the early church who were leading, serving, blessing the church. These were the roles that people filled. So Paul's essentially saying this, the people who serve in the church... Okay? In all the variety of roles that they serve, those, of, those who serve now as pastors, uh, those who serve in many of the different ways that you were involved in ministry, here's the goal of what we do. Okay, Look at verse 12. 
Our goal is to equip people, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So here's all these roles that Christ has given to the people in the church. There is a purpose behind those who serve the church, and there's a progression here that I want you to notice. So Paul says that the purpose is to equip and to equip people first, go ahead and go to the next slide, to equip people first with knowledge. Remember, information leads to application. You need to understand who Jesus is and what he has come in the world to do. Knowledge which leads to faith. So as knowledge continues to grow, so does our faith continue to grow. We grow in a deeper understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is. And as we do, our faith is also expanded. But faith, as it, ex- as it expands, also expands into and leads to greater acts of service. Our faith increases, we take more risks. We do things that previously we would not have done. And we do them in service and sacrifice to the Lord. We say, we start with saying, you know what? I'm going to go on Saturday and I'm going to feed the homeless. And then what something grabs us in that moment and we say you know what I'm going to do this every single month and maybe some of us have been so bold from that to say you know what I want to do more we lead to it leads to greater acts of service but here's what I want you to see this whole progression according to Paul leads to something and what it leads to is unity and it leads to maturity that's the goal the goal is that we would protect the unity which has already been given to us and we just have to live into that reality and that we would also grow in maturity that we would grow in maturity now first thing I want you to notice this word is unity the word is not uniformity the goal is not that everyone who walks through those doors would be wearing the same blue shirt okay that's not the goal The goal is not that everyone who walks through those doors would look the same, or talk the same, or dress the same, or even necessarily think the exact same way. But to be unified, not because of what we have done, but because of what we understand Christ has done on our behalf. So let me give you an example of that. One of the things that you may not know that I do on a regular basis is uh, here in our community of faith, uh, many of the pastors get together on a regular basis uh, to pray together, uh, to meet together, to talk about things that we may be planning to do uh, uh, upcoming in the, in the life of our church uh, or in the life of our community. One of those, uh, there's going to be a prayer breakfast at the beginning of the school year. There's one every year. We've done it for the last four or five years. Various pastors, uh, civic leaders, business leaders come together and we come together for the purpose of praying for the new school year praying for our school district, praying for God to to bless uh, those teachers, administrators, students, etc. That's one of the things that we do to simply bless our community. And there are various pastors that come together for the purpose of doing that. There's some other things that we do uh, throughout the the life of our community, the year, National Day Prayer, etc., where we come together. So we, we, this may surprise you, we kind of like each other. 
Well, we do. Uh, I don't know if you know who Michael Evans is. Michael Evans is the pastor of Bethlehem uh, Baptist Church. Uh, Michael Evans is also the president of our school board. If you know Michael, you probably feel the same way about spending time with Michael as I do. I, it's an honor when I get to see Michael and spend time with him because Michael's a, a dynamic guy. He's a great, great follower of Jesus. I love getting the chance to have lunch or to meet for breakfast, whatever it might be, with, uh, with, with Michael. Uh, Greg Buckles is the pastor at Mansfield Bible Church, and Greg and I share a passion. We love biblical archaeology. Now, I know some of you are like, oh no, what is he going to do next? Okay, so I'll make this quick. So I went to the Holy Land in February. Greg was going in June, and in between that, uh, he, he heard about my trip. He was planning, you know, his, his trip to go in June. He said, David, what do I need to see? What's the new thing that you got to see when you're in the Holy Land that I'm really going to enjoy? And I said, Greg, you got to go to Magdala. Now, let me, I know some of you are not really interested in this, but you're going to have to bear with me for five minutes, okay? Magdala was the home of Mary Magdalene. Do you recognize that name? Uh, we, we've known that Magdala was a community uh, that was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but up until just, just a, a few decades ago, we didn't know where Magdala was. We'd never actually found it. Uh, but then there was a Catholic group that was building a retreat center on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And they start their work, and guess what they found? This is how things happen in Israel. They found Magdala. And so we got to see the, the excavations of this first century village one of the things that you see there i know some of your board but it's okay one of the things that you see there there is a first century synagogue that they have found there it is the only first century synagogue that they have found in the area surrounding the sea of galilee now remember where did jesus preach and teach in the synagogues surrounding the sea of galilee there are other first century synagogues like you go to capernaum we know one is there but the fourth century synagogue was built on top of it okay so you can't really get down there. But there you go. That's where Jesus taught. So I'm telling Greg this. He's like, I got to go. I see him just a, just a few weeks ago. Only saw him in passing, but he had this big smile on his face. He's like, I got to see Magdala. Uh, Marty Collier is the co-pastor at the church at, on Rush Creek. A church on Rush Creek, great community of faith. Uh, they're located in Arlington. They have several campuses. Uh, he connected with me. He said, hey, I wanna, I'd love to have lunch. Uh, he came over here, had lunch uh, at our church. I went over there a few weeks ago, just breaking bread, sharing life together, talking about ministry together. Uh, th these, are, these are brothers and sisters in the faith. But, and yet I want you to know, at no point in our relationship have we talked about just closing our churches and like, let's all just have one one church. It's okay that we think a little bit differently. It's okay that in those communities of faith, if you were to visit them, they would may do some things differently than we do it. What's important? That we're unified. We're unified because of what Christ has done for us. Because the gift that Christ has given. Now, what happens? What happens when the church has unity and maturity? Look at verse 14. And 15. What happens in the life of an individual when they uh, have this sense of being unified and when they have this sense of, of, of moving towards maturity? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Maturity means that you are grounded. Maturity means that you have built your life on a solid foundation. And when the winds and waves of life come at you, 
which they do for all of us, guess what happens? You stay firm where you are because of the maturity, because you have grounded yourself in, in what is true. Your, your roots have gone down deep. And when that happens, look at verse 15. Instead of being tossed back and forth, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Verses 16 through 24, Paul's saying this is how you used to live. You didn't know any better. Now you've been taught to live in a new way. You do know better and you should act like you know better. Verse 25, therefore because you know better, because you've been taught in the way of Christ, each of you must put off falsehood. You must speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down, on, uh, go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't let anger linger. When anger lingers, sin easily can grow out of that. Verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Why is Paul picking on people who used to steal? He's not. He's giving you an example. In your old life, you may have been someone who stole from others. You took from them. And in your new life, it's not okay just to say, well, I'm no longer going to take from anybody. What, is, what does Paul specifically say to that group of people? You must do something useful. So that you will not only not take, but you will also come to a place where you can share. Verse 29, you've heard this already. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And it may benefit those who listen. And then we get to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't you do that. Are we all doing it right now? Anybody? You ever heard that and thought, what does that mean? To grieve the Holy Spirit? Am I did I just do it? I, what, what, is it what does that mean? Let, let me explain to you what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life and in the life of the church? You actually know the answer to this. We just talked about it. The Holy Spirit is seeking to bring unity and maturity. That's what the work of the Spirit is doing in each of us and for all of us. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we work against what the Holy Spirit is doing. So when the Holy Spirit is seeking to bring unity and we work in such a way that instead leads to disunity. When the Holy Spirit is seeking to bring an individual to a deeper level of maturity and we perhaps because of a careless word work against that maturity give you an example. Maybe there's somebody in your life who you may or may not know this, but one of their struggles is with their own sense of self-worth. And so you, in a moment of weakness, you share a careless word. A careless word that doesn't work in step with the Spirit that is seeking to remind them that they are loved and valued and cared for by God, but instead a word that, work against, that works against that. That's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's to work against the Holy Spirit. And so, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
This is what it means to live your life as a follower of Jesus. And some of you have heard me say that in my own life, part of the reason that I said yes to Jesus is I became convinced that following Jesus was the best way for me to live my life. I bet you have that same sense. Like, you don't want to waste your life. You don't want to just take up space. You want your life to matter. You want to live the best life that you possibly can. And I can remember that transition of moving from understanding that the best way of life was actually to live the way of Jesus. For instance, I believe, maybe you do too, that it is better It is better to forgive than to live with resentment and to live with a a, a desire to seek retribution. It's better to be able to release that anger in your life and to live in a different way. But I bet you also know what it's like to be hurt. I bet somewhere in your life someone's done something to you, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, that caused you some harm. Maybe that harm was great. And because you've been there, because you've experienced that in your life, you also know that deep desire that sometimes grows within us to want to harm back. To want to give to someone else what they gave to you. To want to hurt them as much as they hurt you. To to buy into the false notion that somehow that's going to make you feel better. You see, there's a difference between Jesus being the best way to live and saying that Jesus, following Jesus is an easy way to live. It's not. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to build when no one else is. It's hard to build when no one else is. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I understand it's harder for you than it is for me. You see, I work in a place where if people don't behave, (laughs) there's kind of this expectation, you know, like I can say, well, let's pull this out, you know. I mean, I work with Christians, right? (laughs) That's kind of an expectation of working in the church. I work with Christians. There's There's this shared passion that we have, those who say, hey, I want to work in the church. That doesn't mean it's perfect, by the way. But it does mean that we can come back to this foundation. Some of you don't work in those environments, and I understand that. You may work for a boss who has no understanding or desire to model humility, grace, and compassion. And that makes things different. Makes it harder. It's hard to be a builder when no one else is. I have the blessing of being married to a woman who has a desire to share as much grace with me as I do with her. And boy, that's a blessing. (laughs) Because we share this faith, we share this conviction in our life and in in our marriage. And some of you may not have that. And I don't say that because I want you to feel guilty about that or to hear that as a word of judgment. I just want you to know that I understand that. And I understand that may make things more difficult for you. When you're getting up and you're getting your kids ready for, be- uh, for, for church and maybe that husband or wife is not, is not here with you and sharing this part that is, has become an important part of your life. It's harder for you. I understand that. It's hard. It's hard to be a builder. But here's what I want you to think about. If, if, if this is so hard... Why would we make it any harder on one another? With careless words. 
and dishonest engagement and insensitive involvement in the lives of others. Why would it make it any harder? By not living into this call that we have to be builders for the people who we share life with. One of the things that, that Stephanie shared with me that, that was so good, I, I send the sermon to uh, the, the worship leaders, and one of the things that she said is, she said, you know, I feel a little bit of tension when you say it's hard to follow Jesus because there's also this promise of the Spirit and the Spirit that empowers us to live in this new way. And that was a great, great piece of feedback for me just to hear maybe some people in hearing how hard it is may think, oh my gosh, I'm, I, have, I have no hope. But understand this, that the Spirit that works in you is not just for you. That the Spirit that works in you is also a spirit and a power that is meant to flow through you into the life of another. And so when we do not work in step with the Spirit, we are actually denying others that power that is meant to lead them to their own life transformation. The Spirit at work in our life is not only what happens in us internally, but it's also the wisdom of those around us who, who speak into our lives. And who share with us those things that, that the Spirit wants us most desperately to hear. Here's the, here's the basic idea that we need one another. We really do. We need one another. There are people in your life who need you to be a builder. And they're counting on it. The dreams God has for them depend on you being the builder that God needs you to be in their life. Because there are things that he wants to see happen in them. And he needs partners in that work. And you as someone who shares life with them, you're, you're, you're charged to participate in that. We need one another. Christ has made peace and we are to work in partnership with what Christ has done. So here's what I want to invite you to do today. Pull out your bulletin real quick. And turn it over to the back to the message page. Some of you may already be there. But what I want to invite you to do today is I want to invite you just to take some time to actually name and claim some people in your life who you are claiming the responsibility to be a builder of them in their life. And I want you to be specific. So you can't just say police officers. That's a good thing to do. I want you to name someone, okay? I want you to think about five people who you today will say, Lord, I am committed to being a builder in their life. I am committed to working in step with what your spirit is doing in their life. I'm going to write their name down, and I'm going to claim them as my responsibility, someone that I'm going to be a builder for them in their life. So you take a few minutes. Dylan's going to play. Uh, and and the, the invitation is simply to reflect and to name those people in your life who you're going to say, these people are my responsibility. I want to be a builder in their life. Take a moment and write down those names.
Okay, that's step one. Step one is to name five people. Some of you may need a few more minutes to do that, and you can uh, certainly do that at the conclusion of our service or take that home and, and spend some time thinking about who those five people need to be. Here's step two. I want to say a word specifically to those who wrote down the name of a husband or a wife, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter. Step two is to name five more names for that person. And here's who those five people uh, should be. Those are five people who are also committed to be builders in the life of that person. I want you to know who, they, who those people are. Now, some of you in doing that, you may get to like two or three and think, oh, I don't know. And that leads to step three, which is to invite other people into this commitment to be builders in the life of your husband, in the life of your wife, the life of your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, to challenge people, to ask people, to do what you yourself uh, have already committed to do in the life of this person that you love. And you want to see God's dreams come true in their life. They need it. They need it. They need it. So I want to challenge you to be intentional with that. One last thought, and then I'm going to say a closing prayer for us as, as we leave today. The last thought I want to give you is to think about what does it mean to bless others? I, I, I spent all week thinking about how can I, that's a, that's a big church word. How can, I ex, how can I explain what that means? Like how do you, how do you bless someone? Like I, what do you do? What, is, what does it mean? Here, here's the best way that I can describe what it means to bless someone. You bless someone when the Jesus in you gives voice to the Jesus in another. When you, with your words, when you speak into someone else's life the same words that Jesus is already speaking into their life, that's a blessing. That's why for some of you, you've had someone in your life who along the way, they've just said something. And it changed your life. It was, you, you, don't, you, don't even, you can't even describe why it was so powerful. But they said something and it just clicked. It may have been the first time that you heard it with your ears, but it's been, it's been echoing in your heart for quite some time. And that's what made it a blessing. So that's the challenge of blessing people, is it's not only speaking the words of Jesus, but it's also working in partnership with the words that he is already speaking in the life of that person. That's what it means to be a blessing. So I'm going to say a closing prayer for you and for these names, and then I'm going to send you forth from this place to go and be who you're supposed to be, which are people who are committed to be builders, to bless the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to ask that you would bless these my brothers and sisters, and that also, Lord, you by their lives and their commitment would also be a blessing to the names that they have written down on these pages. I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and discernment, a, a gift of your spirit to know, Lord, the words they need to say, the ways that they need to interact, what they might do to work in partnership with what your spirit is doing in these people who they have committed to build, nurture, encourage, and affirm. God, we know that you have 
dreams for each person and you have dreams for us together unity and maturity and we pray Lord that by your grace by your grace Lord and by the work of your spirit those dreams may come true send us forth from this place Lord with a deep desire to be builders as you have called us to be we ask all these things in Jesus name Amen Go in peace. Thanks again for being here.